So we're in Titus. And just to set the context so we know where we're at and what to remember and recall where we're at in the book of Titus. Paul is writing to Titus. He's a young man. He's there on the island of Crete. He's calling Titus to put the churches there in Crete into order. He's told him to do this by appointing elders in every town. And then he warns them of those who would teach falsely there. The, the culture there in Crete was worldly. It was pagan. It was godless. And this could easily affect the churches, and there was bad teaching there in Crete. And so he also warned them of the Judaizers, or the circumcision party, those Jews who had professed the belief in Christ, but then said we must add to that perfect work, mainly circumcision. And Paul tells Titus that he needs to rebuke these men sharply, that false teaching must not be tolerated. And instead, Titus is to teach what accords with sound doctrine, that he's to teach the Scriptures. He goes on in chapter 2 then to call all believers of every walk of life to live godly lives, to live unlike the culture there in Crete, to live unlike the world, but to be God's holy people set apart. He goes on to tell us the reason that we are to renounce that ungodliness. He tells us that in verse 11. It is because the grace of God has appeared. Namely, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, He is the grace of God incarnate. This grace found in Jesus Christ is our redemption. It is our rescue. You know, we say we need salvation. What we're saying is we need saved. What do we need saved from? We need saved from our sin. And those who have trusted in the biblical Christ are now being trained by God the Holy Spirit to renounce ungodliness, to renounce those worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. To be a people zealous for good works. To be a people of God's own possession. To be His. And so in light of these verses, I wanted to address two unbiblical issues that plague the church. Today we'll look at a correct view of God, His law, and His gospel. Oftentimes they get mingled together, and it creates great error inside of the church. And there's confusion. Sometimes we don't know, why do we obey? Why do we do such things? And so when I say the law of God, I want to be clear. I'm talking about the moral law of God. In particular, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. This is what I am talking about. The Ten Commandments is a reflection of God and His character. And this is what, how He has called us to live. There is the civil law, which was given particularly to the nation of Israel. That's not what is in view here. There's also the ceremonial law or the cleanliness laws which forbidden, forbid certain foods and certain cleanliness rituals. Jesus came and fulfilled these and de declared all foods clean. This is not in view. But what is in view, when I say law, I'm talking about the moral law of God. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments of God. I'm talking about, in the New Testament, the commands of Christ to love God and to love neighbor. And so this morning... We're going to address two topics. 
We're going to look at these two errors that are prevalent within the church and oftentimes even in society at large. One is legalism. What is it and what does it look like? The second is antinomianism. And I know that sounds like a big word. It's really not. It literally means anti-law or no law. One who does not think that he needs to follow the law. So an antinomian or a legalist will be the two errors that we will look at. What does it look like and what, is, what does it mean? And so most likely every single one of us have struggled with both of these errors in our lives. Even as Christians, we will struggle on both sides of this, struggling and wrestling with why do we do what God asks us to do. Lastly, we're going to look at the cure. We're going to look at what the Bible says. We're going to look at what God has said in His Word and what the Christian should believe. So legalism, what is it? It has many forms. It is mainly rooted in the pride of man from a self-righteous heart. We've all most likely heard that the Pharisees were legalists, right? We know this to be true. We've heard it a hundred times. The Pharisees were legalists. Why were they legalists? They were scrupulous for the traditions that they had created, these rules and regulations around God's law. They also trusted in themselves. They believed that they were righteous. They trusted in their works. They were self-righteous. They believed themselves to be righteous. I've said it many times before that legalism has two forms, and they're really closely related to one another. One would be that one is actively trying to save himself by his works. He's trusting in his works to save them. The other would be that they are adding to the perfect commands of God. They are creating commandments of men. And these commandments of men, they then require on people. They push them. They push these heavy burdens on others. So legalism, two forms. One is trying to earn your righteousness, trying to earn salvation. The other would be adding to the perfect law of God. And so before we were saved, each and every one of us were legalists. Each and every one of us trusted in our own work, trusted in our own law-keeping, believing in our hearts that we were good. And if you're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting in Him and Him alone, you will be trusting in your own righteousness. There is only two types of people, the self-righteous and those who trust in Christ's righteousness. But I tell you, we're not all going to look just like the Pharisees. Legalism can be much more subtle than this. And I promise you that it has touched each and every one of our lives here today. The Christian often struggles with legalism. Saying that they trust in Christ, saying that they believe the gospel, saying that it is by His work and His work alone that I am saved. But then living as if it is their own work that saves them. Constantly looking to your performance, constantly trusting in your works. While you might say, no, I trust in Him, you work because you fear that you're not a Christian. 
You work because you fear that God will deal harshly with you. You keep the law trying to prove yourself to God, trying to say, God, look at how righteous I am. I'm constantly working for you. Trying to prove to both God and to the ones around you that you are a Christian. You're working to show people that you are a Christian. But this is not resting in the work of Christ. This is not Romans 8.1 that says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is legalism. Legalism rears its ugly head in a few different ways within a person's life. First, when you trust in yourself, it's a dangerous thing. If you're constantly working and trusting in your own works, you will have a contractual relationship with God. Rather than believing in His Word, trusting Him, taking Him at His covenant of grace that says you're saved in the work of Christ alone, you will have a contractual relationship with God. What do I mean when I say that? Basically, it's saying, God, I've kept my part of the bargain, now you keep yours. Saying, God, look at what all I've done in my life. Look at how well I've worked for you. Look at how obedient I am, God. How could you have let this come into my life? Didn't you see all this law-keeping over here? Why did you not bless me in this way? Why did I have to go through such things, God? I, was, I did what you wanted me to do. I did this. Why did you give this to me? Look at all my obedience, God. I should have more blessings than this. This is a contractual relationship. It's a give and take relationship. It is not the covenant of grace that the Christian lives in. The legalist often finds himself cursing God. Because while he might say otherwise, he believes himself to be Good. He believes that he deserves something from God. The legalist loses sight of God's grace and then demands from God. Legalism is closely tied to self-righteousness. It's closely tied to pride. We tend to forget too easy that Romans 3 said that none are good. Not one. None are righteous. That none are right in God's eyes apart from Jesus Christ. That each and every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has failed to keep the commands of God. Each and every one of us deserve God's righteous judgment. And as Paul has said, no one will be justified by the works of the law. I believe the legalist is far more evil in their heart than they are willing to admit. Listen, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to look at what Scripture says about man. We have to believe what God has said about the human condition. The Scripture says that our hearts are dark, that we are far from God, that we love our sin rather than God Himself. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the heart. It is deceitful above all things 
It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is our heart apart from Christ. Scripture also teaches that each and every one of us were dead in our trespasses and sin. That we are by nature children of wrath. And as I just said, that none of us are good. No, not one. But oftentimes legalist says, yeah, yeah, I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as big as a sinner as them. I'm not as bad as the homosexual. I'm not as bad as the child predator. I'm no murderer. I'm not Hitler, you know. I don't cuss or drink, and I don't hang out with anybody that does, and they're all much worse than I am. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your own works. You're saying there's something in you that is better than other people. That's not what the Scriptures teach. There is a saying that we all must learn. And it say, it, the saying goes like this, But for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, there, I, there go I. If it were not for the grace of God, we would all be far more evil than we even care to admit. You might recall from the Scriptures, it says that God hardens the heart. Oftentimes we think wrongly about this. We think the exact opposite of what is true. We think the person is neutral and doesn't want to do bad things and that God is causing them to do something bad. This is not at all what the Scriptures teach. The exact opposite is true. When God hardens the heart, He gives them over to do exactly what they desire to do. He gives them over to their sin. He gives them up to their sinful desires. He gives them up to that deceitful heart. He removes a measure of His grace and He permits the sinner to do exactly what the sinner desires. See, God's hand of restraint is on all of us. We have no clue without God's grace working in our lives exactly what actions we would have done. It is only by the grace of God that we're not like some other people. So when I say, but for the grace of God, there I go, there go I, I'm saying you have no idea how evil your own heart could be apart from the grace of God. I do know that we all have deceitful hearts, that we are all tainted by our sins. And turned over to our own desires, we would be far worse than we could ever imagine. The legalist looks at others and sees themselves as better. The legalist has forgotten that they have absolutely no reason to boast. They've forgotten that they could not save themselves. It wasn't our prayer that saved us. It wasn't that we chose Him first. As Jesus said, I first chose you. It was nothing that we did. God has given us absolutely zero grounds for boasting. He's given us zero grounds for trusting in ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus Christ said we can't even come without first being drawn. He says that in John 6, 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
You can't even come to Christ without first being drawn by God himself. We have absolutely no reason to boast. Jesus says that we also must be born again. The scriptures teach that we, that we are new creations in Christ, that we didn't give ourselves new life. He gave it to us. This is a miraculous new creation within the dead heart of an unbeliever, that God gives life. He takes that heart of stone out and He gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us new desires, new affections. He sets us on His pathway to life. The fact that you know Christ, you might say it's because I did this. It's, you might say it's because I went here and I, I said this. It is not. The absolute truth is, is that no one knows God apart from the work of God in our hearts. And you might say, well, what about free, free will? Well, Scripture teaches that we are free, but we're only free according to our nature. And when the, this world fell into sin, each and every created being, each and every human being will only ever choose to sin. The Scripture says that this is what we love to do. And that's all we'll ever choose, all the days of our lives, that left to ourselves, we never would have chosen God. And so you are free. You are free to continue to sin every single day of your life. And the fact that you don't is because God has stepped into your life. God has, by His grace, saved you. And this was not of your own doing. And Paul makes this absolutely clear that we have no reason to boast. Ephesians 2, 8, verse 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved. You know, he puts grace first there for, I think, a very specific reason. It's because it's by the work of Christ alone. It's by the grace that's found in Christ alone that we are saved. It's by the work of God in our lives that we are saved, and it is unmerited. It's nothing that we have ever done to deserve it. He goes on to say in that verse, you've been saved by grace through faith. You might say, well, I had faith in Christ, yes, but the Scripture also teaches that even our faith is a gift from God. Amen. It is not of your own doing. He couldn't make it more clear. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. No man will stand before the holy God and boast. No one will stand before the Holy Ghost and say, I did this, the holy God, and say, I did this. Instead, they'll say, Christ did it. God did it. God saved me. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone. It is not my work. It was only by the grace of God that I am here. The legalists find something in themselves to give themselves the credit. They give themselves reason to boast. Another way we see legalism, which is very similar to the first, and they're often tied together, is adding to the commands of God. And now listen, this is, this is not this. Oftentimes when pastors, they desire to be biblical, they desire to call their congregations to obedience, you'll hear people saying, that pastor's a legalist. That's not legalism. 
That's calling people to do exactly what God has told them to do in his word. A desire for people to keep God's commandments is not legalism. But it is adding to those that is legalism. It's trusting in your own works to save you that is legalism. It's trusting in your own works to grow you spiritually. This is legalism. Legalism is taking those commands of God and saying, that's not a good enough command. i got to add to it. It's as if God's word is not sufficient. We have to add to it. The, those who add to the commandments of God often then heap these commandments on other people. They look, on, look down on other people. Why aren't you doing what I do? And I'm going to tell you something today. We should make no law where God does not make a law. This happens too often within churches. They're making laws where God has made no laws. I can think of a whole bunch of topics to talk about on where we make laws. You should do this or you shouldn't do this. Where God has not made any law. And we need to be careful. Oftentimes we condemn other people because they're not living the way that we live. Instead of trusting in God's grace to change them, instead of walking alongside of them and showing them why this principle is wiser and that this is a better way to live, we just look down on them. And we just say that they can't be a Christian. They're not doing what we do. It's legalism. Much like the Judaizers saying that you must be circumcised. This is legalism. This is taking God's command and saying, no, no, his perfect work on the cross, trusting in Christ alone, that's not enough. You must also do this in order to be saved. Adding rules and regulation around God's word. And it's really because we've missed the reason for the law. We've we've missed who God is. We just think of him as a forbidding God. We think of him as a mean God that wants to kill our joy and kill the way that we live in life, the way that we want to live. But this is a mischaracterization of why he has given us his wondrous good law. He's done it because he loves us. He's done it because he's gracious to us. He knows this is the very best thing for us. No one would call me a good father if I just let my kids do whatever they want. After they burned their hands on the stove a few times and started playing with knives and stabbing each other, I think people would say, that guy's not a good dad. (laughs) And so God's done the same thing for his children. He's given us laws to live by that are for our good. They're not mean They're not forbidding. They're not like, why can't I do what I want? This is the exact attitude Satan had in the garden. But instead, he's given them to us graciously as what is best for his children. He knows that worshiping him is what's best for his children. He knows that loving our neighbor as ourselves is what's best for his creatures. And this is what his law is surrounded on. Loving him and loving others. It is also our schoolmaster in the sense that it, it does two things. It, can, it ensures that we are all condemned under it. 
We look at the law of God, I hope as I see it, you see it also that none of us can keep the commands. That each and every one of us has fallen short of it. And then in knowing this, that you are condemned under the law, it should drive you into the hands of Jesus Christ. It should drive you to your Lord and Savior saying, I have no hope in myself. This is the purpose of the law. To show us the right way to live. To sure up our condemnation. And drive us to our Savior. But legalism is poisonous to the soul. It truly is. And oftentimes when people are confronted with their legalism, they want to turn from it. They're like, I don't want to live that way anymore. They land in the other ditch. And as I said in the beginning, the other ditch is anti-law or anti-nomianism, which literally means no law. Lawlessness. Having a license to sin. Licentiousness. The cure, as we'll see, to legalism is not becoming anti-law. There is a a movement out there that has the wrong view of the grace of God. They say that because they are no longer under the law, that they can live however they want. That those who call people to biblical obedience are legalists. The second you tell people that they need to keep the commandments of Christ, they say, no, you're a legalist. This is predominant in our land. It is far from what the scriptures teach. There is a group out there that is anti-law. It's anti-obedience. They do not want to obey what God has said. They think that God doesn't expect any obedience out of the Christian, saying that because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are able to live and do whatever we want. They make grace cheap. And they trivialize sin. And it's far from biblical Christianity. You cannot read anywhere in in the New Testament without seeing the constant calls for obedience. In the New Testament, we constantly hear the call for to be holy, to be separate from the world. This anti-law view says that Christ died for my sins. All of my sins are now forgiven. Now I can continue to sin. I can go ahead and, and do whatever I want because I know God will forgive me. This is the heart and the mind of one who is anti-law. And it's not the heart of a Christian. This is someone that doesn't understand who God is. It's a low view of God and His holy standard. Christ actually said the exact opposite in His Gospels many, many times. He told us to deny ourselves. He said this in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is what Christ calls his people to, keeping his commandments. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 3 and 4, And by this we know that you have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's not that you're keeping the commandments to prove 
yourself. You're not trying to earn more favor from God. Your favor is found in Christ and Him alone. You're not keeping the commandments to be saved. But what you are keeping the commandments for is to show the world. It is the fruit of the fact that God has taken a sinner. He's radically transformed that sinner into His servant, into the one who desires to live for Him. And so our works, our keeping of the commandments, it's an evidence of our salvation. It's not the reason for our salvation. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. It could be translated, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You've died to sin. How is it that you could still live in it? The Scriptures are clear. Obedience is part of the Christian life. But as I said, it is never, ever to earn our salvation. As Christians, we are never under the law of, under the law of God. We've been freed from the penalty of the law, free in Christ, united with Him. And being in Him, we are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and we are free to obey His commandments, free to live as He would have us live, freed from the bondages of sin. The heart of the believer is actually the exact opposite of the one who is anti-law. The heart of the believer says, I want to keep God's commandments. The heart of the believer has been created anew by God Himself. He's been given new affections in life. You know, when God in the Old Testament, He spoke of the new covenant. That new covenant was coming, and you know what He said the people would be characterized by? That they would have His law written on their hearts, and that He would be their God, and they would be His people. This is the heart of the Christian is one that has the law of God written on their hearts, desiring to keep His commandments. We can say with David that we love His law, that we love His commandments, that we love doing what God wants us to do. We love living the right way because we understand that God has been gracious to us. We understand that He has been merciful and He's been patient and He has sent His one and only Son to take our place on the cross. Obedience is never a burden for the Christian because we know what he did to free us from the penalty of the law. This is what God expects of us. To live in light of the grace that we've received, to appreciate it, and to live lives that look like it. To deny this is to deny the clear teachings of Scripture. It's to make grace cheap. It's to say that you don't know Christ. You don't understand the cross. I believe oftentimes the one who minimizes obedience are most likely those who have hidden sin in their life. Sin that they love, sin that they do not want to give up, so they twist God's Word. They say, God will forgive me no matter what. They calm their minds saying, there is no need. To obey. This is unbiblical, and God has called his people to be holy, 
like he is holy and to be unlike the world. Both are unbiblical. Legalism, it's not biblical. The one who is anti-law, it's not biblical. What is the cure? Is it that the legalist should loosen up? You know, just take, take it easy, man. Is it that oh, antinomians should start being more legalistic? Start obeying? No. Neither of these are the cure. The cure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cure is found here in Titus. In verse 11, it is that grace of God that has appeared. Remember what it's teaching us. It's training us to renounce ungodliness. The legalist minimizes the grace of God. They say in their heart that this grace is not good enough for me. It's not enough to save me. I must also work. Yes, I need God's grace, but I also must do all these commandments and all these other works in order to be saved. What a shallow view of God's grace. The death of Christ is so huge it can save this entire universe a thousand times over. The death of Christ is perfectly sufficient to save any and all who come to Him. To save every single person. To cast our sins as far as the east is to the west. To forgive us of all of our ungodliness. Every single sin we've ever committed and every single sin that we ever will commit. His death is sufficient and His righteous life is sufficient to clothe us in His perfect righteousness. It is perfect in every single way. We must not add one work to the perfect masterpiece of God. It is like looking at a beautiful painting and then go take a paintbrush and wipe it across it. And you have scarred the masterpiece. When we add one single work to the perfect cross, we destroy it. We lose it. So the pride, the self-righteousness, the audacity to say that we must add to the work of God. How dare we ever say that the perfect Son of God was not sufficient to forgive us in every single way. To the one who is anti-law, it's the same cure. Both minimize the grace of God. One minimizes it to the degree that I must work. The other minimizes it to say that we could continue in sin. Both are a low view of God's grace. The one that says, I can keep on sinning, that God accepts me just as I am. Really, the right saying is, God accepts us in spite of who we are. But then never leaves us as we are. He's actually on a mission to transform you from the inside out. And so he accepts you in spite of you. And then he transforms you. That's the right saying. But the one who wants, who desires to continue in their sin, who cares nothing for the commandments of Christ, the one who says, oh well, God will forgive me, is the one who demands grace from God. 
He thinks that he merits favor from God. God will continue to forgive me no matter what. And to feel this way is to not understand God at all. Mischaracterize him. They don't understand their sin. They don't understand the way God feels about the sin, their sin. I mean, just, you know, knowing the ark, it's not a story about animals in a boat and a flood. It's really about the story of God's judgment and his hatred towards sin. I mean, he wiped out the earth except for one family. It is, a, it is an account of the judgment of God towards sin. It's, it's to misunderstand the way God feels about sin. And if we were to look at the cross, we would know this. If we were to, 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 to dwell there, we would know. We would say, look at all that Christ has done. Look at the way He's left His glorious throne. That God has descended. He has come. This perfect, righteous, and true One, this God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, the One who deserves all worship, adoration, and praise. Instead, He was despised and rejected and subject to the very creatures that He created. And He suffered and died. And not only physically. Yes, it was a gruesome death, but also there... He took the divine wrath that you and I deserve. He was the propitiation of our sins. That is, He was the one that bore our wrath. The one who is anti-love looks at this and says, Yeah, I know. I know what He did. But that doesn't mean that I need to stop doing what He died for. That's to make His grace so cheap. It's to say, I don't even know if I really believe in that. The one who will not obey is the one who does not appreciate all that Christ has done. It's one who has not been transformed by this amazing grace that was poured out there on the cross. So what is the right response? This is where I will finish up. What is the right response of the Christian? It's to say, I can't earn it. It's nothing that I did to save myself. I'm not earning my own righteousness. I'm not righteous. God is. And when I get to heaven, He's getting all the glory, all the praise. I'm boasting alone in God. It's not about me. It's about Him. But I understand the cross and I dare not make it cheap. I dare not continue in my sin. And if I know I have sin in my life, oh Lord, Give me an ache to get it out. Let me not continue to do what you showed your love for me, being crucified for me. Let me not continue to do what you have died for. Instead, the Christian realizes that they have died. That old man has been buried. That they are now united in him. That they were bought with the price. They are no longer their own. They are His. And it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And you literally say, God, take this life from me. I count it all as rubbish. I give it fully to you. If I just might know the One who paid it all for me. It's a desire 
because that grace of God has appeared, because you understand the magnitude of what this means, that you say, take this life and let it be yours. That you were once a sinner and now you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. You are His temple. He is within you. And because of this amazing grace found in Jesus Christ, He has now started a good work within you. He is changing you day by day from one degree of glory to the next. He's training you to renounce ungodliness, to renounce what Jesus Christ died for, and instead live as His people. Live as He would want us to live. To live the self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is what He calls each and every Christian to. Now, I told you earlier, we all struggle in both ways. Times being legalist and times being anti-law, making grace cheap. But we need to repent. We need to have a constant changing of our mind. We need to constantly walk in God's ways, not our ways, reading His Word, being transformed day by day from one degree of glory to the next. And if you say, I'm not there, I'm not there. I'm struggling with some legalism. I'm struggling with wanting to continue in my sin. I encourage you this morning, look to Jesus Christ. Look to the depths of the mercies and the riches of all that He has done on the cross. It is the cure. It's not to, oh yeah, start, start following all the rules. It's not to loosen up. It's to look at all that Jesus has done. Look at the depths and the riches of His mercy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the cure. Place your affection on Christ. Live for Him. He is our only hope.